2: The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. Hey everybody, it is week nine of the NFL season and you're listening to The Season with Peter Schrager. I am Peter Schrager I'm here with my producer Aaron Wong Kaufman Aaron how
3: we doing my friend pretty good man it's another uh, another good Tuesday morning and uh, I'm excited for uh, the show today
2: yeah Tuesday morning so last night was Halloween real quick I-, I gotta say I I I love Halloween I don't I don't remember liking it in my 20s I wasn't the guy who out now that I have a kid like it is the most fun pure joy electric feeling to be out there on the streets like in a neighborhood trick-or-treating and i i think about like you know how much fun these kids are having how pure it all is and then i think back to my 20s and early 30s when i was a single guy having to like get dressed up and be creative and go and and try to you know have this like a drunken night or whatever it was aaron where are you in your life cycle right now and where is your take on halloween
3: you know i've been all over i had a couple great halloweens that were all about the costume and like going out and doing stuff i think right before covid my girlfriend and i went to a party that was like a two things party so you had to be a combination of two things so my favorite uh costume there was jonathan van s&m which I just thought was like an incredible combo of things. We went as Interpol jumpers. So like the band Interpol and the Olympic sport pole jumping. Uh, what? So yeah that's that's, bit,
2: That is so Brooklyn,
3: dude. Yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, so some fun things like that. But this year, I didn't dress up at all this year. We went to the, in Fort Greene Park, the pumpkin dog costume contest. Oh my God. You're so... So,
2: a different Park pumpkin dog contest. Are you ready for four downs?
3: Oh yeah. Let's do it, man. All right. First down, near and dear to my heart. Who's the MVP through the first eight weeks, do you think?
2: Okay. So it's like kind of like the halfway point of the season. I know they added weeks and then we say there's way, I always look at going into week nine as the halfway point. I think... Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are the leaders in the MVP conversation, but I wanted to spend this first down putting out a third name. Geno Smith deserves some MVP love. Let me get into it here. Seattle has won four of their last five games. Their only loss in that stretch, of course, was to the Saints in week five. They have won double-digit margins in the last three games. So they blew out Arizona. They blew out the Chargers. They beat the Giants this week. And you look at what Geno is doing. It's like this great, soothing character of all these young players. We've talked about their rookies. You go through Kenneth Walker and the two offensive tackles who are both rookies. And Kobe Bryant and Tariq Woolen and Boye Mafe. These are all rookies. They shouldn't be this good this soon. And then you've got this veteran leader in Geno Smith who is is thirty. Two years old on the fourth consecutive one year contract with the Seattle Seahawks. He has signed four different one year contracts, three of them to be Russ's backup one of them to battle with Drew Locke. And what's he done? He has been like everything Shane Waldron's offense could ever ask him to be. He's third in QBR right now. He he is right there with Josh Allen and all the different statistics Statistics when it comes to completion percentage. He's first in completion percentage. And he's tied for fifth in the NFL with touchdowns. He's got 13. Allen, of course, is there with 19. I, I understand it. Josh Allen and the Bills are this runaway story, and he is the likely guy, and that's it. But if you're talking about a dark horse who was the darkest of all dark horses back in August, I think Gino's in the conversation. Seattle right now, if this playoffs were to begin, the Seattle Seahawks would be the three-seed in the NFC. The Seattle Seahawks, with no Russell Wilson, with no Bobby Wagner, they're 5-3. and In their next five games, downtrodden Cardinals team, downtrouted Buccaneers team in Munich. You think the, the last thing the Bucs want to do right now is get on a plane and go to Germany and play football. Like, I cannot imagine a place that Brady and those guys want to go less than, than have to go internationally and and not just be in their beds and, like, soak on these on, like their wounds, whatever it is. Then they got the Raiders, who might have thrown the towel in. And then, of course, they've got the NFC West opponents that are coming up after that. But, like, I look at this team. The Seahawks team, I don't see them getting any worse. I don't see them fading. And when you're telling me the next five games are Arizona, Tampa, Raiders, at Rams, and then the Carolina Panthers, we could be talking about a team that is like fighting for that one or two seed in the NFC. If they're doing that, Geno Smith, 32-year-old Geno Smith, on a one-year contract worth $3 million
3: is in the MVP conversation. All right, second down. Did Tua prove anything to you on Sunday, or was that just a bad Lions defense? Well,
2: Aubrey Pleasant, who's a friend of mine, uh, was shown the door. He was defensive backs coach in Detroit, and their defense has been putrid. Um, Aubrey will bounce back, and he'll find a gig. He's one of the good young coaches in the league. Uh, but I don't think that was just against a, a bad team. I think Tua is the real deal right now. And they are 5-0 and in games that Tua has started and completed this season. And on Sunday, it was one of these deals where they're down. Big early. And it's like, okay, we saw you do it against Baltimore early in the season. Can you do it again? Can you do it on the road again? and there's Tua just throwing buttery passes like beautiful passes to Hill, to Waddle, to Gaseki. And then you see things from Sherfield and Mostert. Tua is that dude. And I think when Tua was gone and they lost three games, you start to realize, okay, maybe this isn't just uh you know, a stopgap at quarterback till their next guy. Maybe Tua is the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins not only for uh the next few years but for the long term. Look at the numbers. And I'm not a huge stats guy, you know that Aaron, but He leads the league in passer rating right now with 112, okay? He leads the league in passing yards per attempt with nine yards per every time he throws the ball. And he is third in completion percentage, meaning he's reliable. Then you go to what those two wide receivers are doing and how he gets them the ball in the most perfect ways where sometimes it's behind the line of scrimmage and people want to roll their eyes and say, okay, well, that's not a good... No, he gets them in stride. He gets them in position to succeed. (laughs) Right now, Tyreek, who... I think I was one of them. I thought his numbers would decline, not with Mahomes. He leads the league in receiving yards with 961. Stephon Diggs is two. Justin Jefferson's three. Do you know who four is in the league? Jalen Waddle. They're first and fourth in receiving yards. They've combined for 1,688 receiving yards this season. That is the most from a teammate duo in the first eight games of a season since the Super Bowl era began in 1966, okay? That is how good these two have been. They're doing stuff that Isaac, Bruce, and Torrey Holt never did. And right now, you look at the numbers, Tyreek Hill's on pace for 2,042 receiving yards in his first year in Miami, all right? That would break the record for most receiving yards in a season. I got to tell you, I think Tyreek has something with with Tua. I think Waddle has something with Tua, and I think Tua has something in that locker room. Uh, I was hesitant to crown Tua too early. Honestly, I was. And then when he left the lineup and that team took a major step back, I said, all right, let's see. I thought Sunday's win against Detroit was important. It showed that they can win on the basis of Tua and on Tua's arm, and he was sublime in that game.
3: Yeah. All right. Last week, we did a little bit of a rule breakdown. So let's do another one. Third down what's the taking off the helmet rule and why is it that DJ Moore got penalized if he was behind the end zone? What happened there?
2: Second week in a row, we've got a call and like I, I want to go like 48 hours after it was made before we get on to the next week to kind of discuss it. And I think it's a great question because I still don't know. This DJ Moore thing happened with the Carolina Panthers and it's not the Dallas Cowboys and it's not the Kansas City Chiefs and it wasn't on Sunday Night Football. So I don't know if it's going to get the play um, that a controversial call usually would, but let's go through it here because the rule states it is a penalty if there is a removal of his own helmet by a player in the field of play or the end zone during a celebration or demonstration or during a confrontation with a game official or any other player. That's the letter of the law. So the exact rule is quite clear. It is only a foul for a player to remove his helmet to celebrate if he is in the field of play or the end zone. I watched the replay, like almost like Zapruder footage. Moore is neither in the end zone or in the field of play when he removes his helmet. When the helmet comes off, he's out of the end zone. And I don't know, does it matter that he returned to the end zone quickly without his helmet? Uh, there's no foul for being in the end zone without a helmet. The foul in the the rule book is if you remove your helmet in the end zone, the language specifically says remove. And then Perry Fuel, who is, you know, the voice of the refs right now, works in the league office, does a very fine job. He came out on Monday Night Football and he was explaining it and he was saying that, well, maybe it was identified wrong because there was other players who took off their helmets. Well, in that case, is it not on more? Then you get to this thing where it's like, <laughs> I think it, was, it might have been Larry Flint. I don't know. I mean, I'm going off script here. It's completely. And it was like, if it looks like porn, it's porn, right? Like, so DJ Moore ripped his helmet off. Like, it looked like he ripped his helmet off. Do we really want to go through whether it was technically in the end zone or if he was in the out of the end zone? Like, we know the rule is to not take off your helmet. Emmett Smith rule, it's called from 1997. He clearly rips off his helmet. But it's like almost like a toe drag uh, swag catch on the sidelines. Like, are his feet in or not? Um, if you're a Panthers fan, you could be very angry right now. And the letter of the law, that guy did not remove his helmet until he was out of the end zone. And there might not have been a flag. But if you're a common sense fan, you look at that, and you're like, yeah, he ripped his helmet off on the field. Like, you're not supposed to do that. It's dangerous or it's you know, too celebratory, whatever. I think both sides have a point. But if we're going to be rule book people like we are in the NFL and we're going to check the letter of the law and we're going to bank on that, I don't think D.J. Moore committed a penalty. All
3: right, Peter, fourth down, who do you want to shout out this week? I want to shout out Terry McLaurin.
2: All right, Terry McLaurin was born in Indianapolis, raised in Indianapolis, went to Cathedral High School, was Indiana's Mr. Football in high school. And it comes back to Indiana against the Colts and in the biggest of ways has an amazing homecoming. Six catches on eight targets, 113 yards, including the huge, huge 33-yard pass completion at the end of the drive. That was an 86-yard drive from Heineke to basically save the commander season. I don't think I'm being you know, hyperbolic in that. This is now a four and four team in the thick of it in the NFC. 26 seconds remaining. He basically mosses a dude and the dude he mossed was Stephon Gilmore, who's probably a top five cornerback of his generation. And McLaurin just goes and snatches it. Of course, it puts him within the one yard line and then Heineke takes care of the rest. But then after the game in the locker room, there's great footage of all of McLaurin's, like, boys from high school. Like, there's, like, a crew of, like, six of them, all wearing McLaurin shirts, all wearing McLaurin jerseys, and they're, like, celebrating like kids. Like, and I don't know if I'm being overly sympathetic or it's, or uh, you know, sentimental or whatever it is. Like, I just, I love that. Like, I think that is what it's all about. Your boys from high school who are not in the NFL, your boys from high school who are doing their own thing, getting to see you play in the NFL, and then getting to hang out in the locker room after you make the game winning play that's what the NFL is all about I'm gonna shout out Terry McLaurin welcome home Mr. Football who uh gave the uh, Washington Commanders a huge huge win but also gave his boys and his family something to smile about on the ride home probably five minutes away from where that game was played
3: yeah uh that was he looked incredible in that game and the emotion he had on the sideline after that catch was so energetic like it just loved watching him there what do you got dude fourth down you give me something who do you want to shout out all right. Uh, I mean, this, we've, we've talked a lot about some of these rookie running backs. We had a lot of Brees Hall talk, a lot of Kenneth Walker. A lot of those veteran running backs were great this week. Kamara and CMC each had their 10th game with a rushing and receiving touchdown. But nice. I, I want to talk about Derrick Henry. Who yes. His fourth career game with at least 200 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns against the Texans. Against one team. He's done that one four times. With Lanian Thompson, Barry Sanders, Jim Brown, they did that three times total over their career. Derrick Henry has done it six total times, four of those times against the Texans. He is, I love watching him. He looks unreal whenever he's out there. Uh, it's so fun as the season progresses just watching him get stronger and stronger he feels like uh like i don't know like a a robot he's incredible to watch um and i i just loved watching him he also had uh his second touchdown in that game was his 75th career touchdown and he has now set the the tennessee franchise record which was incredible
2: passes eddie george
3: Yeah, and so now the Titans are in first. Like, is this sustainable? Yeah,
2: look, this is what they do. And it's funny, like, they trade away A.J. Brown and everyone says, well, they're not going to, you know, be able to compete because they don't have a wide receiver. That's not really their offense. When things are clicking, it's like... (laughs) They're going to be bullies, just like their head coach is a bully. Like, Vrabel is not a finesse guy. They run the ball down their throat, and they've got two all-world players. And those all-world players are Derrick Henry and Jeffrey Simmons, who's their defensive end slash tackle, who is in on every play. But, Aaron, I go back to the offseason. We do good morning football, and we have to talk so much hypothetical, so much, well, who would you rather have, this guy or this guy? it was all about Jonathan Taylor this summer. And it was like, the crown has been seized. The crown has been taken. And like I think there's something to be said for that Titans team and for that offensive line and for Derrick Henry and their offensive coordinator, Todd Downing, to be like, yo, we heard that. And I'll say it again. The stat you just mentioned, Barry Sanders had three 200 rushing yard games where he had two rushing touchdowns. Jim Brown had three of them. But Tomlinson had three of them. Derrick Henry has had four against the Texans. That's insane. Um, Great shout out, dude. Derrick Henry's the man.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green Irish.
5: Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, we're very excited for our week nine guest of the season with Peter Schrager. He is a first-year general manager in the Big Apple, but he is so much more than that. He is a great talent evaluator, a great family man, and a great visionary in the NFL. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get to know... Joe, Shane. Joe, what is up, man? What's going on? Thanks for having me. I love that you are joining us during the season. Now, this is fresh off the loss in Seattle, so it's the bye week. What's the first year in New York been like? I mean, I, as, a, as a person in this backyard, Giants fans are elated right now. Regardless of the loss in Seattle, Like th- this is exceeding expectations. But for you, you got here in in January, and now you're here, and it's all these months later, we're, we're heading towards Thanksgiving. Like, What's it been like?
6: Yeah, it's been awesome. It's been, it's been a lot of fun, you know, early on, you know, trying to feel my way through, you know, again, it's the first time doing it. And then, you know, getting day ball in the building, making the head coaching hire was, was big. And then, you know, again, the draft process, you're going through that. And, you know, I brought in Brandon Brown as my assistant general manager. So, you know, you're, you're working with a staff, you, you you've never been through a draft before. You've never been through meetings before. So just going through that first time with, without really knowing some of your staff members and then, you know, post-draft being able to bring in some, some other people on the personnel side that I was familiar with that are, that are very good at their jobs. And, you know, again, just putting the right people in the right seats um, I think has been very important. And, you know, Brian obviously did that with his, his coaching staff and then, you know, some of the personnel changes. And then obviously the early success early on uh, you know, it's been good. It's been good. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a fun ride six and two. We still have a lot of work to do, but um, we're off to a really good start. And I, I think that's important when, you know, there's new leadership, new regime. You know, people talk about culture changes to, to see that there are some positive results and dividends early on, you know, where you can kind of trust the process and, and what we're implementing. And, and the players have been un- unbelievable with their buy-in.
2: Yeah. I mean, you guys have made tough decisions because you've got this salary cap nightmare walking into this thing and you're like, all right, we got to get rid of this player. Got to get rid of that player. You had to make a trade of a former first round pick. You don't seem scared to pull the trigger where the trigger you feel like is necessary to be made. Where where do you get that from? And is that kind of the only way you know how to do this? Be fearless and just make decisions whether they're going to be popular or not?
6: Yeah, it's a, you got to do what's best for the organization. And Dave's and I talk all the time and, and everything we, we do is going to be for, you know, best for the organization, whether it's short-term or long-term, I think it's important. You do have a short-term vision and, you know, that's kind of where coaches are naturally. It's, it's week to week. And, you know, I had a coach, a head coach tell me one time, he's like, you know, every week is like the draft for the coaching staff. You know, it's, it's that (laughs) important, you know, the the amount of work you got to put into it. And then, you know, again, with Dave's, we're constantly talking big picture is as well. And, you know, what do these moves look like two to three years down the line or, you know, whatever it may be. So, yeah, again, you, you use if, if you have the best interest of the franchise in mind and it's a it's a you know conscious effort to do the right thing and you've done your research. Um, you know, I have no problem pulling the trigger on, you know, whatever, moving a player, you're trading for a player. Um, again, we're just always gonna do what's best for the organization.
2: The draft was an exciting time in New York because both you and the Jets had two top top ten picks. And it's like, here's this rebirth of both these franchises with fresh blood in both buildings. Kayvon Thibodeau, the fifth overall pick. There was so much talk about this guy. Does he love football? What's his priorities? And then the Giants get on the clock, and it's like fifth overall. You'd heard his name rumored to the Jets. You've heard his name. Not much to the Giants. Then, boom, Kayvon Thibodeau is the pick, and he has been outstanding the last few weeks. Could you take us into that draft process and what you guys liked in KT and kind of how you blocked out all the noise and you got to know the player himself?
6: Yeah, there was a lot of noise, and you know, again, just the, the more more time we spent with him, he was just, he's a big personality. He's a great kid. He's um, hes smart. He's a hard worker. He plays his butt off. He, he's done everything we've asked him to do. And, you know, as we went through the process, I love being around him. We, we, we had a couple of dinners with him, uh, spent time with him in the combine. Daves and I FaceTimed him, you know, right <laughs> before the draft, you know, he answered the phone and, you know, we just kind of you know, hey, what's going on? Just small talk, just, you know, very casual conversation outside of the formal interviews and the X's and O's and and all that stuff. And, you know, I I took a real liking to him. And at the end of the day, I, you know, there was just, I I didn't have any concerns with, with the kid. And again, I know some people worry about, you know, the NILs and, you know, people having a, you know, some of these kids have a staff now and they're making, you know, a couple million dollars a year as college kids. I mean, I don't know. I would have needed a staff, too, if I was 21 or 22. And a lot of companies were, were coming at me and needed my time and offering me money. So, you know, it's just a new generation of kids and a new time for us. Uh, that's a little bit uncharted waters. And, you know, the more you went through it with Kayvon, he was actually really smart in the way he set up some of his NIL stuff to, <coughs> to avoid any type of distraction. So um, I like the kid. He's a culture fit for us. He's doing a great job. And, you know, he's going to be one of those foundational pieces as we continue to build this
7: thing.
2: Yeah, it's your first draft, and you've been, you know, in scouting since two thousand and one. You get this opportunity to draft, and out of the gates, I know two of them are injured, but like Evan Neal was playing well, Daniel Bellinger was playing well. You look at that rookie class, and for the Giants fans listening, like just give us a little ninety seconds or an elevator speech on what you like from this crew and why you'll always be close to them as your first draft class. Yeah, I like the class a lot, and right now,
6: you know, I have my um, analytics. Department do a, you know, kind of a rookie playtime report each week. I've been doing it for years. And right now we're fourth in the league in, in rookie playtime. So wow. you know, we're having success. We're, we're, we're six and two and the, and the rookies are contributing and getting valuable experience. And again, there's not a lot of rookies that are come in that are, you know, instant coffee and they, they have to go through their ups <laughs> and downs. And, you know, Evan Neal, I think, you know, take out the Dallas game. It was Monday night um, All eyes are on you, and they have a really good defensive line. And you know, otherwise, I think he's played really well. He's our type of guy: smart, tough, and dependable. Kayvon's in the same boat. Again, he was hurt, you know, coming off the knee. And as he's continued to get healthy, you know, you've seen, you know, the flashes—not just versus the run, but the pass. You know, saw the play where he ran down, you know, ETN in uh, the Jacksonville yeah. game. You know, Wandell, the same thing. Yeah, it's, it's amazing because. Evan had an MCL. Kayvon had an MCL. Wondell had an MCL. I was like, mm-hmm. I got three guys with ACL. So unfortunately yeah. they have been banged up, but Wondell had an MCL as well. And, you know, now that he's come back, he's going to be a big part of our offense moving forward. Uh, clear defined plan for him, you know, with Dave's and his offensive system and Kafka. Josh Azudu started and played 100% of the snaps for us against uh, Seattle. He's a young guard that we really like, you know, bright future for him. Cordell Flott, you know, st- uh, started and played some games. You know, again, he's got a calf right now. He's going to be back. But, yeah, Bellinger and Belton, fourth-round picks that have both contributed, uh, both have bright futures, starter, p- starter potential in both of those guys. And then, um, you know, the fifth round guys, Michael McFadden, he, he played 27 snaps on defense the other day for us. Uh, he's playing well and doing special teams. And then, you know, we got the back three guys uh, that all tore ACLs, Davidson, McKeithen and Beavers, who were having all having good camps and yeah. uh, we were relying on them. So, you know, of the 11 guys, I'm really excited. You know, they're the right type of guys. Uh, they're good foundational pieces that, you know, will be contributors, you know, for years to come.
2: Yeah. um, One last question about the current roster. Obviously, I've got to ask a Daniel Jones question. What have you seen from him so far? And already, you know, in this market, it's what's the long term extension? I'm not going to press you on that. But um, you got to at least be pleasantly surprised or not. Maybe you saw this like this kid is tough as nails and he's playing really well.
6: Yeah, no, he, Daniel's tough. He's competitive. Another guy who does everything he can to maximize his ability. He's in here really. Again, it's our it's our off day. The players are off. I, I saw him in there at 730 this morning at breakfast. So he, he's a gym rat. He's always around. Uh, he's going to do whatever he can, like I said, to, to maximize his ability. So he's played well. You know, I know the big story out there is the fourth quarter comebacks. I mean, that's, that's legit. You know, one of the, the drives I think about was when we were in London against Green Bay, we had a 15 play drive for a touchdown. Yep. Saquon got hurt on the first play. So, you know, Saquon's out for the other, you know, he went seven for eight on the drive and that the incompletion was a, was a throwaway. So, He's taking care of the football. We're not turning it over. And, you know, again, we've had, you know, now we've got a couple injuries on the offensive line. We've had some injuries, at receiver. Um, unfortunately, it's a little bit of a revolving door with with who he's throwing to. And that's just kind of where we are based on, you know, the salary cap and where we were in the offseason. But um, you'll never hear the guy complain. And, you know, he, he's playing well for us.
2: I love it. Um, all right. So you're the general manager of the New York football giants, dude. Let's go back to the kid from Indiana who played at DePaul and played quarterback and wide receiver. And in 2001, you get an internship in the ticketing department with the Carolina Panthers. Take us through what the next step is and how you find yourself even in position to enter the scouting world.
6: Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. So it was it was actually um, January of two thousand. So it was my junior year of college, and you know Carolina played a game against Green Bay, or uh, maybe it was New Orleans, but they had to beat beat New Orleans by X amount of points. And Green Bay had to, you know, it was one of those deals to get in the playoffs, yeah. and they didn't do it. So um, my first day on the job, the season's over. I'm in the ticket office at the time. There was four or five people in the ticket office, so it wasn't a big staff. Um, and I was, what is this
2: during like winter break? So yeah, (laughs) yeah,
6: at at DePaul university, they have a great program. It's called winter term. So your freshman year, you have to stay on campus, which is great. You take one class. It's all freshmen on campus. It's a blast, uh, sophomore, junior, senior year internship, travel abroad, whatever it may be. I I would recommend anybody that's doing it to do an internship. Cause if you want to be an accountant and you go work for Ernst and Young for that month, then you're like, this sucks. At, At you least know you know your sophomore year yeah. versus before you get your degree, right? So yeah. That's kind of the purpose of it. Um, so, anyways my my junior year, uh, my mom had a business in NASCAR. She was living in, in North Carolina, knew the neighbor, of the neighbor to the ticketing manager. So, <laughs> said, yeah, it's <laughs> a three week internship. Phil Yahtzee was his name. Come on in, and then it happened to be the season was over again. So I'm taking inventory of suites and taking phone calls and everything. But got to know the people there. And when it was over, um, they're like, "Hey, if you want to work training camp." I'm gonna get you in uh, contact with the assistant football operations guy. His name's Brandon Bean. I'm like, all right. So I stayed in contact with Brandon. He's like, yeah, come on down for for training camp. You can work. And uh, so on July 11th of 2000 my 21st birthday was my first day you know went to charlotte my mom dropped me off like i was going to, to camp or something <laughs> You get a, and a we,
2: bagged lunch <laughs> exactly exactly and uh you
6: know we got in the buses and we went down to uh set up training camp in spartanburg so Brand and i became fast friends uh, you know working for him you know we played basketball at training camp him and i are both uber competitive so uh we were on the same team to start off training camp a few times and you know we, we became fast friends Um, and that training camp was, you know, setting up beds, TVs in the rooms, uh, stocking the coaches with Gatorades while they're at practice, you know, whatever it may be. And then, um, you know, fast forward to the next, you know, February in between then it was my senior year. I had a couple job offers. Um, you know, the story goes, you know, striker offered me a job. It was my first interview I'd ever, uh, I'd never been on an interview for. Striker, a
2: medical device company,
6: company. had buddies I played with that were working there and loving it. And, you know, it was good money. And yeah. I couldn't make up my mind. And literally the the Friday I'm going to meet Brandon in Indianapolis at the combine. Cause where I went to school, DePaul is only 45 minutes from Indianapolis. Um, I had till Monday to FedEx that contract back. They called me on Friday before I left to meet Brandon and they pulled the offer. They're like, if you haven't made up your mind yet, then this isn't for you. And it's a good company. Wow. I, under, I understand where they're coming from. So we <laughs> had dinner with Brandon that night. He said, we'll find something for you. Let, let, let me, you know, give me some time. And then, you know, luckily they had a guy retire um, in the scouting department and they had a scouting assistant job open up. So, um, Brandon called, you know, I went and I interviewed for it. Here's the other funny part about that. So I interviewed for the job and you know, the old adage, I just want to get my foot in the door. I'll do whatever I can. You know, that's what you say. Well, it's this old school guy from Pittsburgh, Jack Buchowski. I I, I love him to death. (laughs) Can you cuss on it? I don't know if I cuss on your. So I'm like, you know, this senior in college, I just want to get my foot into a door. He's like, I don't want somebody that wants to get their foot in the door. I want someone who wants to yeah. scout. And I'm like, let's go. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not getting this job. <laughs> I just this up. So, uh, so anyways, I go through the interview process, I get back to school and I know this because, you know, the guy who was replaced as a scouting assistant is a, is a very good friend of mine. And they offered the job to a kid from Slippery Rock because he was from Pittsburgh and Slippery Rocks in Pennsylvania, uh, kind of the, the Pittsburgh ties. They, offer, yeah. So he calls him like at 730 in the morning and the kid answers the phone like, hello, you know, like he's sleeping,
2: Hungover, so he hung over, sleeping. Whatever. So he hangs
6: up the phone. He calls my buddy. He's like, hey, uh, give me that Joe Shane kid's number. Calls me. And offers me a job because that guy sounded like
2: he was. <laughs> this is incredible. Yeah. incredible. That isn't... guy right now is the general manager of X team. No, no, he's not. I don't know who he is or what there. he's doing. <laughs> but anyway, so I know it's kind of a long story, but yeah, the 2001. No, are am kidding? I... It's great. Yeah. And it also tells a, a lesson because yeah, was... I mean, we watch, we watch all this stuff and then you get these fantasy football experts. And everyone says, I could be a GM. I could be a GM you started because you put yourself out there and you wanted it and you turned down a job for less money. And then Brandon, for those listening, no, obviously is now executive of the year. He's with the Buffalo bills. But I remember, I remember Brandon when he was in the public relations department. Yeah.
6: Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he started kind of the same path and worked over to the football side. And again, his was just getting your foot in the door and then, you know, working your tail off. And that's what, you know, one of the stories I tell with Brandon too, is. About two weeks in a camp, I called my mom. I'm like, yeah, this sucks. Brandon, this Brandon Bean guy's got me got me at five thirty every morning making the, you know, coffee for the coaches. And um, what happened was I did it for the first two mornings. We had a special teams coach that always wanted his coffee at 530. It had to be, you know made and, and ready. And so I did it for the first two days. And the third day, the guy didn't wake up and do it. So I missed it. So Brandon gets his butt chewed out because, because the, the coffee's t- not ready. So trickle down
2: effect, trickle down, and Then so- you get it,
6: Joe, I can count on you the first two days to do it. So unfortunately for now on every morning at training camp, you have to get up at five 30, walk over to the coach's office and make coffee. So, you know, my mom said, well, sometimes, you know, you get punished for being good at your job and you know, you're dependable. So, you know, that's a task you're going to have to do. And, you know, she was right on. And again, that earned Brandon's trust, which then, you know, down the road, you know, he trusted to give my name to somebody yeah. to, to eventually hire me as a, as a staff member. So, um, so yeah, it was That's cool. Yeah. It's, it's funny how it worked out when you really look back at it. Um, you know, it's an interesting story, but yeah, then 2001, I was a scouting assistant for a year, you know, making highlight tapes, you know, picking people up at the airport, just helping out at practice, doing anything I could, could do to, you know, to, to show I was worthy of, you
2: know, no job was too big for me and, and they could depend on me to do the job and do it right. Yeah. And Carolina had some really good years and then something, you know, not to skip forward 10 years or so, but something that really plays in this New York market is that, you know, you have a connection to Bill Parcells. Could you take us through that connection and how you and uh, the tuna got to know each other? Yeah. So when I was an area scout with
6: the Carolina Panthers, I was living, they moved me to, uh, I actually lived in Frisco, Texas, where the Cowboys facility is now is way before any of that stuff was there. But you know, we'd fly in for meetings three or four times a year, draft meetings and stuff. Well, we had Dan Henning was our uh, offensive yeah. coordinator, like best friends with Coach Parcells. Well, Dan never bought a, a condo or a house or anything in Charlotte. So he lived in the residence inn where we stayed as scouts. It was right next he to- He lived stand. in a hotel all lived the time. The hotel, he lived in a hotel the entire time. <laughs> So, you know, anytime we'd go there, you know, he was happy as all get out because now he's got (laughs) seven or eight guys to hang out with. And he was a great storyteller and ton of football knowledge. So I I love Dan Henning. He was he was awesome. Great mentor for me. And, you know, Bill was one of his best friends. So when Bill went to Miami in 2008, um, Dan was hired as the offense coordinator and brought my name up to Jeff Ireland. Um, I knew Jeff, but, you know, we were you know, I wouldn't say we were like friends or I don't even know if I had a cell number at the time, but we knew each other just from passing in the scouting circle, went down and interviewed as a national scout covering the entire country instead of just doing an area and was able to get the job. Um, then, and then, yeah, first, first, I remember my first draft meeting being around coach Parcells and you're just, uh, you know, uh, you're going to give your opinion. And there's coach Parcells who's won Super Bowls and you know, it's quite so and his eyes
2: are like validating. Cause I, cause I've worked with Sean Payton on Fox and the amount of Parcells stories he tells and just everything yeah. is a busting chops, but was he like encouraging or was he, oh, you yeah. don't know anything. Yeah. It he,
6: he was unbelievable. He was unbelievable. I actually asked me to have more of a voice in the meetings. Like Joe, you've seen the entire country, like speak up more. And you know, I Good. was more like, feeling out the room it was a staff that had been together you know i was trying to feel my way through the dynamics but he was a great coach he would not just obviously football and everything else but he he would always say you know why we would do this or you know why we're making this roster decision or why are you guys thinking this way in a meeting when you know why take a projection in the first round when you got this guy who's had production at a position that's a known commodity or <laughs> you know this is what you know he he just had so much now he said you know what tom landry used to tell me like Oh, my God. So Tom Landry told Bill Parcells and about to tell me, you know, I got a ton of notes from my from my time with him. And he's just a great sounding board to this day. You know, when I was going through the process, talking to him and um, just a wealth of knowledge and a a great human being. And, you know, he, he truly cares about you. And, you know, you talk all the players and coaches and other GMs that have worked for him that still stay in contact with him and and use him as a valuable resource. Did you get together with him in Saratoga at all? Did you try to make the journey now that you're with the Giants? I need to. I need to. I know Chris Mayer goes up there quite a bit. He's got some horses up there and Dan Henning spends a lot of time up there. So, I'd like to get up there. We tried to get him to come through uh in August. It just uh, you know, the timing didn't work out, but uh yeah, I would love for him to get around or, or get up there
2: at some point. Yeah. Um, you know, I find uh all of your stories, General Manager, so interesting because take these circuitous routes to where you are. Um, Give me this this answer. the player that you scouted that you take the most pride in in that I banged the table for this guy, or I saw him in a in a random game that no one else was talking about, and then this guy got to the NFL and didn't have to have an all world career, but like, made a name for himself. And I was that first set of eyes, or I was that voice in the war room on any of your stops, whether it be in Carolina or Buffalo or Miami, who was that guy that you take a lot of pride in? And you hear that name and like, a something clicks and you're like, you know what? That was my dude.
6: Oh man. It's always hard to do. One of the things I'm most proud of is probably that first draft class in Buffalo. I know that's you're looking for one in particular, but no, no, it's okay. Um, (sighs) it's hard when you're going through a draft and I just went through it again when, when, when you don't have continuity and you don't know everybody. So yep. you kind of, you have a smaller circle and who you can trust. But I mean, that first draft class and Brandon, Brandon was very good. He's like, Hey, when we drafted Cam Newton, we were so focused on the quarterback. The rest of the draft was not so great. So we uh-huh. have to make sure if we're looking for a quarterback that we still got everything else, you know, eyes dotted, T's crossed. And when you look at that class, um josh allen tremaine edmonds uh harrison phillips just got paid by minnesota Taron yeah. johnson got paid by buffalo uh saran neal just got paid by buffalo wyatt teller's a two-time all pro they got yeah. paid by cleveland I, I wish we wouldn't have traded him <laughs> but, uh, you know, ray, ray, ray ray mcleod's still in the league so Yeah, still in the league like again i tell you i do that rookie playtime report like that class is number one right now in rookie playtime you know to this day, you look three, four, five years down the road. So um, I know that's not one player, but I'm proud of that class. No, but you have pride in it. That was Brandon and I, you know, our first year together, you know, a stat. we had, People don't realize this, or I don't know if they do or not, but they fired the entire pro and college scouting staff involved.
2: Every single person and didn't do it until July. So you guys got there when? Like well, we got there in July? They, they did it May. right after the
6: draft. So they did it right after yeah. the draft. And I'm like, you know, it's a team that hadn't been to the playoffs in 17 years. It's like, Mm -hmm. Brandon, how are we going to get people to, you know, and people aren't letting good scouts go. And so we got, we got very lucky with this. I mean, look at this, our original staff. I mean, Marvin Allen's now assistant GM with Miami. He was there. Brian Gain went on to become the GM of the Texans. Um, You know, we just had, I mean, we had a uh, Lake Dawson, you know, has been a VP before like Malik Boyd, Terrence gray. Like we were able to put together a really, really good staff with experience and youth And you know that made those meetings. You know, again, it it goes back to the scouting staff, the guys with the boots on the ground at all these schools, um, was very important. That was a daunting task to you know to hire an entire scouting
2: staff in the month of May, pro and college. When Um, you saw Josh Allen tape, what'd you think?
6: (laughs) Oh man, I'll never forget. One of the scouts still reminds me all day. Like his game against Nebraska, he threw four interceptions, and I gave him a plus. (laughs) You know, I
4: thought it was (laughs) like
6: it's that good. That was still good. That was a good game. Like I'll give it. (laughs) That was a good game, but you know, the he thing, played well. Yeah, the thing with Josh is like, if you like the player, he's even a better person. Like, you can't like, I love the human being. Like the way, what he's about, he's wired right. He's like, the player's great, but the, the person's even better. And we fell in love with the person, you know, when we were doing our research back in you know, spring of 2018.
2: Draft is shaking out in that first draft, first time Brandon's in the big seat, first time you're in your chair. And we see Baker go, and we see Darnold go, and then of course, you know Saquon and Quentin Nelson. You guys, you get aggressive, and you go and get a quarterback. Um, do you remember the conversations going into it? Like, if this guy slips, like, what was the talk when you were like, "Let's go make that move"? Yeah, well, we we, we knew early on. and
6: if, So we had uh, we were at twenty one and twenty two when the season ended. We ended up making the playoffs that year. We had Kansas City's pick two. And we used a Cordy Glenn. We traded uh, to Cincinnati. Cincinnati right? So we swapped yep. like 21 to 12. And that got us in range. But again, we, we were trying to move up. You know, we couldn't move to one. Dorsey wouldn't trade one. Uh, Dave Gettleman wouldn't trade two. Uh, three was the Jets. They weren't going to trade with us. And they made a move early on with the Colts. Um, we were actually literally working out Josh. I'm snapping the ball to Josh at Wyoming. And I get this update on my Apple Watch. And it said the Jets traded with the Colts. And I'm just like, Oh, like a number three. <sighs> yeah. I'm like, you know, we couldn't never do anything. Yeah. We hadn't met with the guys yet. So, you know, we weren't in a position to move up cause we had to make sure that there's somebody that we were going to actually like, you know, we saw the film, but you know, that's a position you got to get to know the kids too. So anyways, we had something in place with Denver, but their guy was there, which ended up being Chuck. Chuck. yep. um, you know, Cleveland ended up staying at four and taking Ward. So, you know, when Jason light got on the phone, you know, we had some talks back and forth and it, you know, we're haggling. Um, hung up and then they called back brandon got on the phone with jason and that was the first time somebody was willing to do business with us um where we could take the you know take the quarterback that we wanted so it was cool we took him at seven kind of everybody was relieved you know, were happy and then you know tremaine was still up there and we said let's let's go get tremaine and uh it's funny we ended up you know being able to get tremaine with a you know third round pick that we used you know we traded tyrod to cleveland for the first pick of yeah. the third round that allowed us to go up and get uh Tremaine. So we we had some, you know, again, draft capital and draft picks give you currency on draft data to move around and make some of those moves. Um, if you don't have the currency, it's 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 tough to move around. But uh yeah, that was an exhilarating uh evening to say
2: the least. And it's a good uh, bridge to my next thing because you know, we're here recording this week nine. Ryan Poles, first year general manager of Chicago, trades a franchise, you know, star and Rakon Smith, but he gets a second and a fifth, and now they've got draft picks and As a general manager, I always say, like, as I talk to you guys, it's, you don't have to get them all right, but the more at-bats you have at the plate, the better. And I think, you know, with what the Giants have coming up, like, you guys are pretty stocked and ready for the next few drafts. You have to like what you have moving forward as far as the young players on relatively um, inexpensive contracts. And then how good you guys are at analyzing college talent and being able to identify those next, next great pros.
6: Yeah, we have nine picks going into next year. You know, financially, we'll be in a better shape. And then, you know, the good thing, you know, with the roster is there, there's some players that were here before I got here that are are good young talent. You know, Andrew Thomas, Dexter Lawrence, Xavier McKinney, Julian Love, Saquon Daniel. You know, the Daniel Jones. There's there's pieces in place um, that were here previously. That you know, hey, if they continue to, you know, perform at their their level, you know, they're you know, you take care of your own. And then you add a couple draft classes, you know, some supplement some in free agency and, um, you know, again, start building it the right way, bringing in our type of guys. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited about the future. Um, you know, we had a plan in place, we've been able to execute it this far. And, um, you know, I think we'll be in, you know, again, financially, we're going to be in much better shape this offseason and give some flexibility in free agency. And then having nine picks, you know, gives you, you know, options there to continue to add young foundational pieces um, on top of the draft class that we have this year. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited how things are going at six and two right now at the bye week you know, coaching staff's done an amazing job,
2: personnel pro and college have done a really good job. So, um, I'm excited where we sit. I grew up in Freehold, New Jersey, which is in central Jersey, about 40 minutes from MetLife, Giants country all the way. Uh, I live in Brooklyn, New York, and right now it's Giants country all the way. Uh, I just work on a television show, and people just want to talk Giants with me everywhere I walk uh, the last <laughs> few months. What has been your best or funniest interaction with a Giants fan, whether it be at Dunkin' Donuts or whether it be at the DMV, wherever it's in, Like These are characters, and I know you've encountered them in your everyday life. Yeah, probably at Lowe's
6: this spring. My my wife was still in Buffalo, and she came over. It might have been right after the draft. and again, I'd just been bunkered in. I was at a temporary living. I'm going back and forth from temporary living to the office and that's, I I really didn't get out much. So we're at Lowe's and you know, we're looking for some stuff and I'm like, gosh, dang, this guy's like following me around. Like every aisle, (laughs) like I look and this guy's kind of standing there staring at me. I'm like, what in the world's going on? Not even, again, I haven't been out. So I'm not like somebody recognizes me or I'm just not used to it. So finally he kind of comes up to me and I'm getting kind of creeped out. He's like, are you Joe Shane, general manager of the giants? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so I was just I like, can I get a picture with you? And it was at Lowe's. And again, it was, it was in the spring and I just, it's, it's hard to, I mean, you go from, assistant jammer, you know whatever just nobody knows who yeah you're the that. New
2: York Post one day you see yourself on the back page of the paper you're like, yeah what?
6: I, I, I haven't got rid of I, I haven't got used to that yet or even pre-game just walking out to the game when somebody's yelling your name or something like it just it still catches me off guard but yeah I just the time in lows with my wife I'm you know the guy asked for a picture of me or something it was just kind of like all right I don't mind doing it but it was just you know getting used to that it's so great but the fan and base then, is uh, great like they're, they're passionate like the crowd has been unbelievable I don't know if you're here for that Monday night game or not but um, the Ravens game, Chicago, like the, 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 the atmosphere has been unbelievable at the stadium. It's been awesome.
2: One of the coolest videos or one of the coolest stories, uh, I think the article was done and I, I hate that I don't have the writer. Maybe it was Ryan Dunleavy in the post. It was about uh, your pops' reaction when he heard the news and all that. Could you quickly tell the story of who your father is and where he found out the news and what he's all about?
6: Yeah. So, um, my dad still lives in Elkhart, Indiana, where, where I grew up and, uh, he's worked for the same company roadway for like, I don't know, he's 39 years. He's number one on the seniority poll. And, uh, he's about to retire, I think in February, he said, he's one of those guys that complains about his job, but I think he actually loves going every day. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I, uh, I got the call and I walked up to my, my off. Well, first I had to, we were getting ready to practice against Kansas city. So I was trying not to be a distraction. Some people saw I had a call from East, East, Rutherford. So I knew something was up. I gave him the thumbs up and I got out of there. I just didn't want to be a distraction with going to Kansas city in the playoffs. So, you know, I went outside and I called him and yeah, he was, he was super proud, you know, got teary eyed. And, uh, it, it was a really cool experience because you know, again, it, you know, he worked hard. He taught me work ethic, you know, every, every, a lot of the you know, DNA and who I am today is is, is because of him and his work ethic and um, what he instilled in me at a, at a young age. So really cool experience. He's excited. He's super proud. Uh, you know, he, he's got like a couple of different places, breakfast spots and and uh you know dinner places where he goes and, and, and eats on a weekly basis and now they've got giant stuff up there Is that right? I yeah, love that. Yeah, and, what, yeah. and what's so, the
2: town called? It's Elkhart, Elkhart, Indiana. Yeah, Elkhart, Indiana. It's the And r- it's Giants Country now.
6: Yeah, yeah, it's Giants Country. It's known as the RV capital of the world, so all the RVs <laughs> you see on the on the road a lot of them are made in Elkhart. And it's about I'm about 10 miles uh east of Notre Dame, so you know, it's South
2: Bend. So very cool. Yeah. Um, do we give our secret breakfast spot? Do we give him a shout-out? Uh, yeah, give him a shout-out. Maybe we get a free uh, <clears throat> free breakfast. Omelet. All right, Combine. Let's go back to February. Joe had just gotten the job. Brandon Bean. Uh, Brandon and I have a long tradition of getting a breakfast. Back when Brandon was in Carolina, we'd go to this place called Padachu at the Combine, and it was like top secret. No one else would go. <laughs> Brandon and I would get some cinnamon toast oh, yeah. and some delicious eggs. So Joe joined us, but I got to say, it's not such a secret anymore. It felt like this was like a uh, sort of like spring break in the NFL. I didn't like the fact that our precious patichu in Indiana is now the spot in the combine. Yeah, you're talking 25, 30 minute wait now. It's it's unfortunate. But I know. Maybe it's
6: this little shout out here will uh, get us to the front of the line next year.
2: Yeah. And I asked Joe, I said, all right, fifth overall pick, you tell me uh, who we taking. And uh, he did not say the word cave on. So I (laughs) I know who to trust when it comes to my mock drafts uh, moving forward. (laughs) Lastly, before we go, dude, if there is a young man or woman right now in their 20s in college, just out of college, and they play fantasy football, they love the NFL. And they're like, they meet you in an elevator. I want to be an NFL general manager. How do I get there? What are your values? What are your tenets? And what is that message to that young man or woman? Yeah,
6: I think, again, what I tell a lot of people is go work with the, the, the colleges now. You got these NIL deals. It's basically like free agency, not to mention they still got to recruit. So you can get valuable experience evaluating high school players for these colleges if you want to come in and do the evaluation part for the NFL. But, you know, work hard, be on time, be dependable, pay attention to detail. And to me, the, the best type of employees are when you can give them something and you know it's going to get done the way you expect it to get done, and you don't have Mm -hmm. to double check it or find errors or anything like that. So the the ability for somebody to depend on you is the most important because, again, my leadership style, I'm not a micromanager. I'm going to let you do your job as long as I know it's getting done the way it's supposed to be done and the expectations of being me because if I have to micromanage, I'm going to find somebody else to do it so I don't have to micromanage. So, um, yeah, just work hard. Again, I tell people around here, like, if it's business side or whatever, I may not know what you do on a daily basis, but I know every day at 7 a.m. I see you or you're the first mm. one in or you're you're here late or, you know, whatever it may be. And so when my scouts are going to schools, like, you know, you never know what day another general manager is going to be there and they don't know who you are, but you came prepared. You were the first one there and you asked really good questions when you were in with pro liaisons or whatever it may be. So um for people that want to be a gm again i think going the college route first is is the best way the way it's structured now i mean they have gms of colleges now I and mean, there's there's several gms that you know there's one at auburn there's one in north carolina there was one at georgia tech so um you know that route's a good you know foundational piece in terms of getting some evaluation experience and then once you get your foot in the door take advantage of it it's up to you once you get that
2: opportunity Hey, I'm ready to run through a wall for you. How does <laughs> <Yeah>. that sound? <laughs> it wasn't a
4: pep dog just...
2: <laughs> Ready to be? There. Hey, look, I'm at I'm at Good Morning Football every morning at 5 a.m. and I'm here and I'm like uh, looking through like depth charts so I could talk about who Cincinnati's, <laughs> you know, new corners are going to be because Chadobia Wouzier is hurt. I want to be a GM. I want to work for you, Joe. And this is it, um, dude. I appreciate you so much. I understand you're a busy guy and it's not often that you know during the bye week someone would hop on and do an interview. But you're such a great dude and, and you're truly. a visionary in this field and we really appreciate you coming on the podcast Uh, you do a great job man thanks for having me anytime peter all right joe shane general manager of the new york giants he's got new york in a in a frenzy right now feeling good about their team a team they could be proud of Uh, more to come here on the season thanks again to joe shane
0: you go into your shower feeling tired but as soon as you reach for the irish spring your day immediately gets better
2: Joe Shane, awesome guest, awesome guy. I hope the the purpose of this podcast is that you get to know these decision makers and and some of the guys behind some of the big decisions in the NFL a little bit better, and Joe really is one of the true great dudes of the NFL, and one of the true great dudes of the NFL Network is my friend Tony Holzman-Escarano. Tony, what's up, good man?
7: Hey, how you doing, Sharks? Glad to be back here again.
2: No doubt. Tony is with the NFL Network's research department and often is the one Kind of loading me up with good nuggets, good info, good stats, good research, the combine and the draft coverage for sure. But also I use this stuff during Good Morning Football all the time. And Tony, we're doing the highlights from the Niners-Rams game. And I throw a comment out there on the the broadcast. And I'm like, Christian McCaffrey has a rushing touchdown, a passing touchdown, and a receiving touchdown in the same game. And I go, I can't imagine there's a lot of running backs who have done that. And you hit me up. And I wanted to bring you on to make us smarter because you always do. Historically, how rare is it for a running back to do the Triple Crown? Receiving, rushing, passing touchdown, and then take us through what you think McCaffrey brings to the table here in San Francisco.
7: Well, since the 1970 NFL merger, there's only been three running backs, including McCaffrey, to do that. One is Walter Payton, and the other is the Daney and Tomlinson, so... A lot of great company McCaffrey's in right now. Multiple gold jackets, uh, the thing that players are all shooting for, for sure. The wildest thing with this is that he's the first player with 30 yards and a touchdown, passing, rushing, and receiving in the same game. So he, actually, he also added the yards. I like
2: that. So it wasn't just like a one-yard pass. It was a 30-yard yeah, pass. It was a 34.
7: The pass was actually the third longest. By a 49ers player over the last three seasons. <laughs> <Is that laughs> <By> air <right? laughs> yards, the Like touchdown, third longest pass touchdown Love by it. air yards. Another thing that's crazy about what McCaffrey did is he also did this in college, also against an L.A.-based team, against USC in the 2015 Pac-12 championship. Nice. So it's not new for McCaffrey to do the 1-1-1, one, 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 the triple single, I guess we can call it. A uh-huh. triple single, I like that. That's good. But as far as CMC in Shanahan's offense— we all know Shanahan loves to get the ball to his guys in space and let him eat. And he literally added the ultimate Swiss army knife into his toolbox. McCaffrey's over the last five seasons, McCaffrey's second in yards after catch by running backs. Okay. Over that same time span, George Kittle's first among tight ends. Nice. And Debo Samuel is first among all players in yards after catch per reception. I love
2: this positionless players. Let's go. He
7: has a bunch of chess pieces that he can move around and do whatever he wants to with. And, over the last two games that he's played with the, let's call it one and a half. Because
2: yeah, it was on 48 he really hours. Didn't play that much.
7: Yeah. yeah, he's played in the slaughter out wide on 20 percent of his snaps and been used in motion or shift on a quarter of his snaps. So mm-hmm. Shanahan's moving him around, making sure he gets the most out of McCaffrey. I don't know who let Kyle Shanahan get Christian McCaffrey. Right. Like there should have been like a a 31 teams or like, some like kind coming of, together
2: and being like, yeah. no, don't let this happen.
7: You know how on fantasy football there's the do not drop list? <laughs> yes. There should be a do not let Kyle Shanahan have this player list, and McCaffrey would be right on the top of it.
2: Yo, know, it's so true because, like, I reported it the next day. McVay and the Rams were in on this, and they didn't have all the draft picks that the Niners did. And at the end of the day, it was, like, a highest bidder type deal. But for those at home who don't know, like, Kyle Shanahan babysat Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. Babysat yes. him. The story goes yes. that, like, you know, Mike Shanahan was the head coach in Denver. Ed McCaffrey's the star wide receiver. Kyle Shanahan was a little toddler, and, like, Ed would babysit. Then you go, uh, you know, before that even, Ed McCaffrey was on the, the 94 Niners team that Mike Shanahan was a coach on, and Kyle was obviously yep, a young see, kid. Yep. And then Kyle Shanahan goes to Texas before he transfers to Duke. And at Tech, or maybe the other way around, maybe he was at Duke and in Texas, I forget, my chronological order is all screwed up, that's why we got a research department, but he wore 87 at Texas, and that was because Kyle Shanahan worshipped Ed McCaffrey so much that he wore 87, yeah. like, that's crazy! <laughs> and now they're together, and it's like, alright, of course they're together.
7: A lot of family ties going on there, for sure. A lot of family Shanahan ties. Shanahan got the only player in NFL history to average 50 yards rushing and receiving in their career, so he's one of one. He got it's a one, one, on one of one, one. player um, in that deal. And he has one contract till through 2025. So let's go. You're one bro. Thank you for
2: making us smarter. Christian Appreciate McCaffrey you, and Tony Holzman Escareno. We'll get you next week.
7: Appreciate you, Shregs. Thank you so much for having me.
2: And now it's becoming maybe my favorite part of the podcast. And this is uh, the fourth time we're doing it. At the end of every podcast, I bring on one of my friends, whether it be uh, a childhood friend, a college friend, someone I've worked with in the past, who has a take. The take could be anything. Last week, my buddy Noah tore apart Paul Rudd's take that the guy who caught the Aaron Judge 61st ball did the right thing by giving it back to Aaron Judge. Noah said, that's ridiculous. The right thing is to take a million dollars and feed your family. The first week of the podcast, we had my buddy Aaron on, my college roommate, and Aaron came on and made the claim that the House of Dragons is better than the original Game of Thrones. It got a lot of pushback from fans of both shows, from fans of Game of Thrones. I uh, wouldn't be lying if I had some people who work at the actual home box office chime in with thoughts after that take, and they were pro that take. They'd like those ratings. Um, They thought that was a good promotion for the show. I'm bringing Aaron on again because we're recording this the day after Halloween. And I just hear exhaustion in his voice, and over his texts I could say that he has a take on the Halloween holiday. Aaron, welcome back to the season with Peter Schrager.
8: Thank you, Peter. It is great to be back, and I'm loving the podcast. Loving the podcast. Rudd was great. Noah, great take. He did a great job. Good job, Noah. Great take.
2: Uh, What's your take for week uh, number nine of the NFL season? Where are you at, dude?
8: Well, you know, it's it's October, it's the end of October, and I, I gotta tell you, you mentioned exhaustion what happened to halloween what happened to the day i want to stress the day of halloween because the day of halloween in my book has now turned into the month of halloween it feels to <laughs> me that we are just going on uh, an endless spree of halloween celebration i mean it literally is turned into super bowl weekend for children uh, and you and i've been to many a super bowl so we know what it's like to jam in as much as we can do I- i'm thoroughly exhausted peter when i was a kid uh we, we just slapped together our own costumes uh you know i remember my, my my i was a ghostbuster my mom drew on a t-shirt handed me a paper roll towel yeah. uh, with with tin foil and said here you go here's your ghostbuster blaster there right- you go egon <laughs> i'm i'm telling you peter the amount of money that i just spent on halloween <laughs> hundreds of dollars went into I'm this is not a joke eight costumes eight different co- I have three children Peter you know this three children eight costumes between three children one of those kids is one years old we put him in three different costumes <laughs> what is going on Peter I mean it's just an endless amount of Halloween and I, I, I'll tell you what it's going what's going on it's all for the social it's all for Instagram you know you might as well call my wife, Patrick Mahomes, she's 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 putting so much <laughs> on social or that that guy from uh, Seattle that, uh, you know, is now playing in Denver, Russell Wilson. You know, uh, <laughs> you might as well. She's she, all for the social. Just pictures galore. It's you know, we, we you know, Peter, when we used to be doing the, the wedding season, right, we used to spend yeah. all this money and, and show ourselves on this Instagram showing us uh, partying and all this stuff. I feel like 10 years later, now this is what we're doing. Went from weddings to celebrating Halloween. That's all we're doing is showing off <laughs> on Instagram about how much Halloween partying we're doing with the children and the parties and the costumes and everything. I'm sorry. Thoroughly... Why
2: multiple costumes? Why not just the same costume? Like what, what who, would someone judge if you wore the same, if like you were a stranger things
8: character twice? Well, of course, Peter. because the social is all about the views and the clicks and you know, the more times that you can come. Oh, wow. Now, now he's a stranger things. Oh, now he's star Wars. Oh, look at this. Now, <laughs> you know, it, it just goes on and on, and, and, and it's all for the social media.
2: Now, you're not a Grinch, but I will say this. Um, there was a feeling of frustration when we were on the text chain with all our college guys over the adult Halloween responsibilities. Now, I'm not a suburban dad, so I live a different life. I'm gone over the weekends. I think this is very specific to the suburban adults now, because I see it all over the social media, husband and wife. Yeah. Together, yeah. Something catchy, and then it's Friday night. Then it's Saturday night. Then yeah. it's Sunday night. Then You're it's right. Monday night.
8: What's happened? Well, I mean, Peter, you know, I, I kind of just went on a riff about the children, but I, t- I had to tell you, it's the same thing for the parents. Uh, my wife and I, we had four different costumes. Uh, you know, we had the we had <laughs> we had the, the the peanut butter and jelly. You had the 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 cult leader and 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 the follower. You had uh, you <laughs> that's know, a fun one. That was a fun one. Um, you know, you, you got to go on and on. And and we have different parties. But now I'm hearing about all these, like, you know, hosting people at your house to do clue like, you know, Hollywood mystery, uh, Halloween mystery things. I mean, so people are going all out, taking it to all different types of uh, uh, crazy measures. I mean, it is thoroughly exhausting. We've turned Halloween into what was what one w- single day when, when you, were, you and I were kids. Into this month-long extravaganza that doesn't stop until, thank God, yesterday it's over. We're done.
2: You know what? When I was a kid, you'd go trick or treating for the night, and if it rained, sorry. If it was cold, sorry. Like you don't get a do-over. You don't get it. A... Also, maybe there was that kid in your class the night before who would take like a carton of eggs out and like egg the teacher's house, and there that was it. Now there's this obligation. But I, I will say this: uh, to to have like a-, a silver lining to this whole thing. It is over, and now you can turn to decorating your house with Christmas attire, getting the ornaments up. That is a whole other, a whole other experience here because that's an Instagram frenzy as well.
8: I mean, Halloween stops, and here comes the holidays, and so Instagram galore. <laughs> I'll see you. I'll see you there, Peter. I'll be uh, liking your pictures, liking you and Mel and Erica. Can't wait to see that. Yep, here comes, uh, here comes the holidays.
2: All right, so a thousand dollars in the hole. 18 costumes, lots of candy, but, uh, you know, your wife probably got 38 likes on that photo, so it was all worth it, pal.
8: All worth it. You know, anything for the kids and my wife. That's it. That's it.
2: Aaron, thank you for that ray of sunshine on this amazing, amazing morning. Uh, Brother, always a pleasure. Great take. Love you, Peter. That's it. That's what we bring. We bring you the GM of the New York Giants. We bring you insight on Christian McCaffrey. And we bring you hot, scolding, anti-Halloween takes. And that's where we're at. Um, Guys, I'm going to Munich on Friday. I'll be recording a podcast live from Munich next week. Until then, interesting slate of games this week. Like, Not a great one, but You know how the NFL goes. This will end up being the best week of all. That's just what it is. For Aaron Wong Kaufman, for Jason English, for the iHeart guys, for the NFL guys, for the music maestro Jack Rudd, I'm Peter Schrager. Thank you, everybody. See you next week.